Hey, everybody. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the big show this week. I promise we'll get right to Charlie X because we got a lot of fun on this one. I'm telling you that. I uh, just want to say, hey, thank you uh, for uh, sticking around. Thank you for always listening. Uh, we missed a week. Uh, that might happen a couple of more times over the next couple of weeks. We're having some weird technical problems, and then I had a hard drive crash, and, you know, at that point, you just want to give up and throw things into the river. That's pretty much what I want to do. Or out into space, or shoot it with a phaser, or photon torpedo in my living room. Whatever. At any rate, I promise we'll get this all back on track, and uh, we'll get back to our regular weekly fun. But until then, like I said, if there's a hiccup or two in the next couple of weeks, we apologize. But as always, thanks for sticking around. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can find us on the YouTubes. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on there. That would be the best thing to do. That way you'll never miss an episode. Or you can just head over to Facebook. And, of course, I'm always posting there and on, uh, of course, thebrotherstrekabout.com. All those places. But, again, subscribing on any of those other ones would be the best way to get all your fun that you would ever want out of the Brothers Trek About. All right. That's all I got to say. Let's get back to the fun, right? That's it. Charlie X coming at you next. Well, thank you for returning, and welcome back to another episode of The Brothers Trek About, the original series. My name is Matt from Austin, and as, uh, and as always, we got my brother from Planet Houston. Say hello, Ken. Live long and prosper. All right, excellent. Well, this week we're going to be talking about Charlie X. This is uh, the seventh filmed episode in the series, but uh, number four in uh, its, at its uh, airing date. I thought that this is a really good episode. You know, it's got some uh, funny bits in it. It has a little bit of, uh, like, some horror tropes a little bit going on, too, because you got some scary stuff happening. But uh, overall, I felt that they both worked well with each other. Yeah. So talking about the, the airing date, I do find it unfortunate that if you were watching this, you know, you were seeing The Man Trap, and then it's Charlie X, and then it's where no man has gone before. And there's an awful lot of people gain mysterious superpowers. It's a problem. Uh, episodes. Yeah. And it's a, a lot, lot of, of uh, absolute, absolute power, power corrupting, corrupting absolutely, absolutely happening. Yeah, right out of the gate. And the show's really not just about that. I mean, that's one of the core themes of Star Trek. Yeah. Yes. But uh, we get two episodes right away, and they're kind of you know, dealing with these powers in a way that that seem archaic. You know, uh, where no man has gone before, they're talking about ESP in ways that, like, look dated to us. And then, of course, since this episode, Charlie X deals with kind of mid-20th century anxiety about teenagers, those mm -hmm. features seem really dated. 
I mean, it's easy to update them, right? And just think about, because I think we still have teenager anxiety, but our teenager anxiety today is not the teenager anxiety of the 50s and 60s. Yeah, no, very. it's very different today. I would definitely agree with that. So this, uh, the original idea for the script was actually in the original Bible for uh, the show. And uh, it was actually uh, DC Fontana who uh, read it and said, uh, hey, I think I can do something with this. Uh, you know, she kind of called it in the short term, you know, beware of a God who goes through puberty. thought that was really good. Uh, so Roddenberry's take on it was a little bit different. So it was uh, when it got into DC Fontana's hands, that's when, uh, that's when some of the main changes of it happened. Uh, Roddenberry said that uh, children have a lack of morality, and in that morality is prim and in that morality, it's primarily a learned behavior. Kids have to be taught right, right or wrong. You know, we are inherently reckless when we're young and not, not able to fully, uh, you know, empathize with people or animals or living things. So that sort of, you know, willy-nilly of people disappearing, of blowing up the ship and all of the stuff that happens in this episode is kind of, you know, plays along those ideas. But then uh, DC Fontana had a different take on it, which... Uh, you know, kind of made it more about the teenage angst thing that we were uh, just talking about. She says, and I quote, at least your average human child has had other human companionship along the way, someone to talk to, someone they felt that they could go to, whether it be a teacher or a parent or whoever. Charlie has had none of that. So everything that's landed on Charlie, you know, is, is, is happening now. He's dealing with it all at the time. It was this deep understanding of the character that helped, uh, helped me shape the story and the script and make it a standout. So I thought that was really interesting. So once it got into her hands is really when it got sculpted into what it was. And then Roddenberry took it back, did a script polish on it. And then basically that was it. Uh, there's a lot of talk um, behind the scenes of like how right out the gate that this like the treatment was ready to go. Then the script was ready to go. And then after the polish, it was like, boom. Oh, okay. Hey, we can do this one now. Let's get going to it. So that's uh, pretty neat for, you know, DC Fontana, who not only was a woman, in the 1960s, writing for a big TV show, but uh, you know, also for somebody who had never really written and uh, written much before. Well, she had written some, and I think some of the descriptions of how much she's written underestimate her as a writer because her job was as you know an assistant to Roddenberry rather than being on the writing team. But she had had published. <laughs> yeah, she even, before. she even she calls herself, herself a secretary. secretary. Yeah, but she had had published work before. Yes. Yeah, she was a published writer, and so the idea that she could, you know, write a one-hour television script isn't like, wow, look what we discovered. It's a natural progression in her career. She yeah, also, well, and definitely. definitely go ahead. She also has many of the best episodes. I was about to say, I mean, what she goes on to write in in the series is, you know, some of the some of the great great ones. So uh, in uh, some of the early drafts of the script, uh, she obviously made it a lot more about like the awkwardness of teen and blah, blah, blah. And it was during uh, Roddenberry's script polish that, of course, he had the whole puberty sex thing, of course, because it's Gene Roddenberry. So, of course, he's going to do that. Um, uh, also, uh, the man talk that he has with Kirk. Uh, she originally had given that to Bones because it would make sense to have it with Bones. But definitely for the viewing audience, it's a lot more fun to see a very uncomfortable Kirk trying to explain 
men, women, puberty, all of that stuff. I really enjoyed all of those scenes in that. So uh, I was like, okay, well, there we go. Another pl big plus for Roddenberry in that one. Letting, you know, really knowing his characters and allowing them to take these like seriously awkward moments and uh, play with them. So uh, this guy who ends up playing Charlie X, Charlie Evans, whatever you want to call him in this case, uh, was actually a uh, big up-and-coming uh a kid. He was actually born into uh, Hollywood royalty at the time. Uh, his parents were uh, the leading man, Robert Walker, and movie queen Jennifer Jones. But when his father died at a really younger age, she remarried to uh, <laughs> David O. Selznick. So, so wow, maybe, maybe you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So can't get more royal than that in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly it. So. Uh, that was a big deal, obviously. And then he had uh, done a bunch of, uh, of work and, you know, shows that you've seen. And then was in a movie where it was like his first big movie was uh, his name was under Kirk Douglas in the credits. So that shows you how, like, big a part that was. He had then uh, won a Golden Globe for the most promising newcomer. And in 1964, uh, he took over the role from Jack Lemmon as the title character in Enser Pulver, the sequel to Mr. Roberts. So, and it's funny because his... His co-star in that one was Walter Matthau. So how interesting uh, how in later years, Lemon and Matthau would be a big thing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they were all really excited, obviously, to get this young actor who was a big up and coming, somebody that a lot of people knew. And uh, certainly Grace Lee Whitney, you know, just talks volumes about how great it was working with him and how, uh, you know, he just brought it every every time that they did a scene together. So. Uh, this is another funny thing. There was another guest star in the show, and it was Gene Roddenberry himself. Uh, he was the uh, the cadet who calls up and says, uh, "Hey, we got a uh, we got turkeys all of a sudden in the oven." And this this goes to originally they thought this would be a Thanksgiving uh, period mm -hmm. episode, but in the terms of the season, it would be airing in November. And because it was so quickly put together so well, they moved it up. Uh, one other funny thing I read in this chapter about uh, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff was is that by this point, seven episodes in, you know, whenever they direct an episode of a show, they always have to adjust the lighting so that it makes sure it hits everybody, you know, and everybody's well lit and we can see everybody and everything that's happening on the uh, on the screen. So they uh, a lot of times have stand-ins whenever the actors are off learning lines or, you know, working on some kind of uh, judo move or something that we'll see later or any of those things. When they're not on set, they'll have stand-ins. And then a lot of times these stand-ins were like also other crew members on set. But the guy who got to, who stood in for Shatner all the time really got to understand Shatner's little moves. Like, for instance, whenever he was rolling around, writhing on writhing on the floor in pain, he'd always do his take of the pain with his face to the camera. So that was every time. Every time. So the, so the uh, standing guy started to realize that he did this every time and would then ask, well, where are we going to put the camera now? Okay, well, just so you know, this is where you know Bill's face is going to be, so make sure that you light this so that we can properly see it whenever he's agonizing in pain later. So... Uh, that saved them, actually ended up saving them so much time over the course of the next few weeks that they like purposely lit him better so that we'd be able to see him as just the extra standing off stage. So I thought that was really funny. And uh, with that, I say, uh, hey, let's get into it. Captain's log, starting. It's five year mission. Ding, 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 ding. Stardate. 
1533.6. You know, uh, the first thing I was going to talk about is that in this uh, first scene, just this first scene, as we're watching, you know, the special editions, the one that were remastered or whatever. I like the way that they make the special effects look like it almost could be the 60s. I mean, obviously, it looks very CG, and because it was done a few years ago, the CG isn't quite as crisp and amazing as it is now. But, for instance, in the original airing of this episode, you never actually saw what the, uh, what the Antares looked like. So it was fun that they kind of added them into this episode, added it into this episode, and then you can see it actually looks like a model, I think, in this. So I thought that that was a really good little special effect they did on that one. Good, but not too good. Right. Yes. Exactly. Perfect. Uh, so the mission is is that the Enterprise is picking up an unusual pa passenger. Apparently, Charlie Evans was uh, left. Uh, on a ship that had crash landed on a planet was left there for uh, almost 13 years. So he was about three, supposedly, by the time that they pick him up. So uh, we meet uh, <clears throat> Captain Raymar as he walks off wearing the uh, old school gold uniforms that we saw in uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before. But not only that, but what was up with those appellates they were wearing? They weren't the usual, like, triangle. Well, so early on, every ship and every starbase was supposed to have its own insignia. Oh, really? really? The insignia that we associate with Star Trek, which is actually the energy curve and the speed of the warp curve, you know, overlaid on each other, that, which gives us a nice triangle. Yep. yep. That was only supposed to be the Enterprise, and that other ships would have other symbols. And so we meet guys who are commanding other ships or beaming over from the Intrepid or from Starbase 12 or whatever, and they've all got different uh, patches there. And it's only after the show ends and we get to the movies and so forth that that symbol has become so iconic that now it becomes a Starfleet symbol rather than an Enterprise symbol. Hmm. But that so, is interesting. So after the original series, we can expect to look at other people's weird insignia. Well, this one's weird, too, because it's like a circle and I don't know. There's something in the middle of it. I couldn't quite tell what it was. And But yeah, it's a very interesting one. It's like... Looks like a boulder or something. A meteorite, perhaps. They're miners. Um, what's that? Maybe they're miners. Or no, I miners. guess they are engaged in some kind of... Um, <clears throat> well, I was going to talk, talk about, about this later. later but, uh, oh, they act yeah, they actually call it the science probe transport. transport. Is what they call it. So I guess yeah, they're so doing some kind of stellar cartography or some kind of yeah, looking yeah. for mining opportunities or... So uh, we meet little Charlie Evans. Uh, he's uh, clearly not been socialized. We can kind of tell right off the bat. Uh, we also already see that he's got some kind of power. We don't really quite know what it is at the beginning of this episode, but I'm saying that, you know, especially you and I being so skilled, uh, not only Star Trek watchers, but also just sci-fi regular watchers are like, oh, he's controlling their minds. But he kind of does the thing where his eyeball or his eye eyeballs disappear. And then all of a sudden they're talking, Raymar and the first officer are like, oh, yeah, we love this guy. We can't wait for him to get off. Or we, we wish to, you know, he could stay on the ship. It's really great. Blah, blah, blah. But. Hey, you want to Definitely say something some of our entertainment tips? No, no, we got to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're super quick to want to get off the ship. And I love that when he's like, uh, you know, later Kirk's like, uh, oh, that's a first for a transport. I, you know, again, 
letting us know something is not, is not as it, as it should, should be. be right. Know, it's like, like, hey, uh, you know, usually you guys are filling up on medical supplies and anything else you need. Uh, that's weird. Okay, bye. They talk again. They do a little more world building about the Enterprise, talking about how big it is. It's like a whole city on a starship. And then when we find out the number, it's 428, to be exact. <laughs> thought that was funny just because it's like, well, is there is that really a city? Uh, I don't know about that city. Although it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor they continue in the next generation when much more plausibly you have a city. Right. Well, that's like, even that's like, what, 1500? Yeah, somewhere on that ship. Under 2000, is that it? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe you're right. right. Yep. But there's a lot going on. Certainly, certainly, yeah, well, as we'll see later, there's a whole, there's a couple of rec rooms, because they end up in rec room two, and there's all sorts of stuff happening there. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, Charlie's, Charlie's rec room one is a downer. <laughs> Those people are no fun. Yeah, yeah. apparently, no, rec room two is where the cool stuff's at. at. That's right. Uh, uh, that's, that's where they got the playing cards. And, and Uhura uh, things, and Spock <laughs> yeah. out there. Spock, Spock plays on his little Vulcan harp. That's right. You go to Rec Room 1 and Spock is beating everyone in chess. <laughs> it's a lot less fun there. That's right. So we uh, enter Rand, who's uh, again in, the, in another episode. Uh, she has a lot to do in this episode, too. It's funny that, uh, you know, suddenly, as we talked about in previous episodes, that Rand just suddenly disappears when she's had not only this episode where she's had a lot to do, but other episodes. She's really been featured heavily as, a, as one of the main players up till now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because Charlie, I mean, obviously he's never seen a woman before, as we later find out, but he takes this like seriously long look at Rand, you know, look at Rand and even at, goes so far as to say, is this a girl? You know? <laughs> and my thought was, as soon as I saw that, is like, why do why does Rand always get stuck with all the creepy guys? You know what I mean? It's like, she even gives him, gives like him a look. Like after he says that, gives, she gives Kirk a look like, really? Again, you're doing this yeah. to me? Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> And then we get a uh, bemused Kirk as we, uh, you know, go to the opening credits. Come back from the credits. It is Stardate 1533.7. Only a quick part of a day has passed. Uh, they're now traveling to Colony Alpha 5. When we, uh, when we find Charlie again, he is in the sick bay. Uh, which they never call it by any name in this one, I noticed. But uh, he's in sick bay and he's... Uh, doing the little thing that we saw Kirk doing a few episodes ago or he's running in place or whatever he's doing. But uh, he comes off as a... What's, What's that? that? Do they have one of those at your gym? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they don't. It's, it's weird, I know. They have one that's on the floor that's very similar. It's called an uh, elliptical. Uh, elliptical but... No. but not up on the wall where your legs but not are up higher on the than your torso. Right. Because right. I think that's where the real exercise would be happening. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Well, it helps your core. So, you know, it's good. So then Charlie uh, awkwardly asks Bones if he likes him, you know, because the other people on the ship didn't like him. Uh, I tried. I tried to get them to like me. To which Bones replies, well, most 17-year-olds do. So then we uh, see him in the corridor. Apparently Bones is going to walk him, but then Bones disappears and we stop and we see some guys putting a pole through the floor. Don't quite know what they're doing, but uh, yep, they're doing some kind of maintenance important through the floor, I might add. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Uh, but yet on the bottom of it, it looks like a Jeffrey's tube. So who knows what's going on here? 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this was something that like really happened in the Navy during the war, and that either Roddenberry or one of the writers is like, hey, let's put in the scene where they're doing this X, this thing that you know they happen, it like happened weekly back on the old USS, whatever it was. And they're like, yeah, yeah great idea, some realism, you know. So they got this scene in there, and the rest of us look at it and go, I don't even know what that is. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Had you been in the Navy or on a particular kind of ship in the Navy? You know, during the war, you've been like, oh, yeah, I had to do that. It was a pain in the neck. But, oh, well. <laughs> so uh, we see Rand again really uh, fairly quickly. She walks by Charlie X. And and uh, my reaction to seeing Rand again was like, ugh, oh, no, it's going to be another awkward scene in the hallway. And uh, <clears throat> sure enough, he tries to give her some perfume, which uh, magically appears out of nowhere. And it's also her favorite. So he knows this. So now we have already. So now here we're establishing that probably he can read minds, but I feel like this is a thing that comes and goes throughout the episode. It's never very consistent. consistent so. so yeah, if he was, kept, if he was really yeah. a good mind reader, he'd have been way ahead of them on certain other plans. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I br- I'll bring it up. I'll bring it up now. But like later when he's playing Spock in the 3D chess, like he should have been able to beat Spock because he knew what Spock was going to do, you know? But oh well. It comes and goes in this episode, and that's all I have to say about that. As he's walking away, they make a date basically to meet in the rec room number two, uh, and then he uh, pats her on the butt. Rand sort of reprimands him and And tells him to go talk to Kirk or Bones about it. Uh Back to the bridge where Bones and Spock are arguing about the Thasians. Uh, Kirk tells Bones that Spock is building this education for Charlie. Uh, Kirk instructs him that he should, uh, you know, talk to him about the trouble of adolescence. You know, I guess they couldn't say puberty on TV back in the days. Uh, or, or Kirk was just very uncomfortable with it. Either way. He was uh, afraid he was going to join a street gang. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Uh, Bones tries to, you know... Tell him it should be the father figure that does this. We need a strong and important one. To which Kirk responds, well, I hope you find one. <laughs> I love, I love that. That. Uh, So now we go to rec room two, right? Which is, first of well, all, jammed, packed, packed full, full of people, people right? right? People having uh, fun. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. This uh, is a fun so crowd. See, uh, sp- <laughs> we see Spock playing his instrument. Uh, you know, the... Uh, the Vulcan harp, and then uh, Uhura keeps trying to sing along. It kind of annoys Spock, but then Spock just decides, well, hey, I'm going to play this anyway. You might, might as well, well sing a song. song. So, so apparently they're, they're singing, singing a song that's really about a guy named Charlie. It's like, Charlie doesn't know or Charlie watches over me or something is the real version of the song, and then they just put their own lyrics to it. So Anyway, so uh, she makes she spends the first half of the song making fun of Spock, Charlie comes in, and then she spends the second half of it sort of making fun of Charlie, right? In a way that he's not very used to. He's not kind of not used not used to being poked at or whatever. So then all of a sudden, they she stops singing, right? Has a weird cough and stops singing, and then the liar stops making sound. Nobody, Nobody makes a point of this at all. You know what I mean? The whole room's like, what? Yeah. I almost yeah, wonder I mean, whether Ohur and Spock had, you know, had like, dialogue that got cut because of time or something yeah i guess that's possible but yeah it's weird they all look at each other for a half a second and then they boom just move on and here's charlie now hey i got some you know card tricks for you uh 
It's really weird. And then I was wondering, like, where did he get these photos of Rand, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, let's put this practically in the world, right? Obviously, we know that he, we know he's using magic or whatever the Thasians do. But, like, they have to, I mean, if I was Rand, I'd be like, where did you get these creepy pictures of me? Like, <laughs> well, I you know, you we can't have, just. You know, I, I thought about this before in, in terms of, like, Beatles songs. There's a lot of Beatles songs about stalking, right? Uh-huh. And clearly what was acceptable as normal behavior in the 60s in terms of, you know, hanging outside my door. I, I've noticed that, you know, you haven't come and gone. That, you know, nobody will tell me you're home. You know, this kind of stuff. You're like, this is actually, you know, some serious stalking. I mean, you get stalking yeah. numbers through the 80s. I, I can think of a police song. Of course, there's Blondie. Uh, yeah. But the Beatles have a lot of them. And... I think to a certain extent, there just would have been more, oh, this is socially acceptable for you to have, like, surreptitiously photographed me <laughs> for your magic tricks. Especially if you, if you assume in good humor, this was, you were setting up a magic trick, right? You got these pictures because you had this magic trick in mind, as opposed to, oh, you've been, like, photographing me for your, you know, crazy, you know, basement uh shrine right. <laughs> well let's hope that's not the case anyway <laughs> uh so we got uh this is where kirk is talking about the uh fake meatloaf that looks like turkey make it look like a turkey so they're gonna you can at least you know feel like we're having thanksgiving uh and then we get the scene between kirk and and charlie that is so amazingly awkward and fun i just love every minute of the scene it's so great He's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he's trying to, I love it when it gets to the end of it too, where he's like, you just can't do, you know, it's just, it's not a thing. You, you understand? understand? Like, you yeah, didn't even say anything. anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's so just great. so great. Shatner's so amazing in that scene. I love it. Uh, so then we make our way back up to, we make our way up to the bridge. I didn't notice. I watched this episode twice because I was less familiar with it than some of the other episodes we've been watching. <clears throat> so I watched this episode twice, and both times I did not catch. But there's a major faux pas that happened. Uh, not you faux mean pas, shirt? But... He's wearing one shirt. He's got another shirt. He's got another shirt. <laughs> yes. Good job. Good job. You, you caught it because I did not catch it. Because <laughs> uh, so like after he, you know, like he's saved in that awkward moment by Ahura calling him saying, hey, the, you know, the Antares is calling. You got to come to the bridge. So they get on the turbo lift and they go up. And when he gets off the turbo lift, he's in his yeah, yellow well, sure. shirt again. <laughs> I didn't catch it at all. I had to read about it in the book afterwards. So that's really funny. Well, I'm glad you caught it. I just wasn't observing. Yeah, I, um, I'm not a big fan of the command uniform, that, that leisure uniform that's slightly greener. Yeah. And so when I see it, I'm kind of like, eh. Whereas I like the gold yeah. the normal uniform that makes Kirk look like he's part of the crew rather than... So this is tradition. It goes back to the 18th century where the captain is not a member of the crew. He is actually a representative of the admiralty. And that uh, the highest ranking person on the crew is number one, is the the ship's uh, first mate, which is why a Riker right. or, um, I, we never get a name in the original pilot, is just number one, because she's the top member of the crew. The captain is somebody else. He's from the Admiralty. So he is basically telling the executive officer, here's what I want the ship to do. 
because the Admiralty wills it. So you're going to go to this location, you're going to engage in this particular way, I want the ship to have this kind of readiness, and then the first officer actually runs the ship. So one officer is looking down at the ship, and one officer is looking up at the Admiralty, and then they interact. So the fact that he's, he's got this unique, you know, special uniform, you know, is a suggestion of this kind of idea that the captain's not a member of the crew. So question then, which one's better, his green tunic or, or Picard's Picard suede zipper up? <laughs> Look at the zipper up. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? Picard's like coat that he wears. Yeah. With the, with the, the shoulder, shoulder pads, pads in it. it. All right. Uh, so they get a call from the Antares. The Antares is trying to talk to Kirk. He's trying to, they're trying to tell him basically that, you know, Charlie's, Charlie's a big bad freak. News. Yeah, yeah, it's bad, bad news. news. And, uh, this transmission is suddenly lost. And then Charlie, all creepy-like, says, uh, well, it wasn't very well constructed. <laughs> I mean, that's a creepy thing to say. They all look at him. Kirk even questions him suspiciously, like, Did you, do you know something happened to the Antares? Of course, Charlie says he doesn't know. Then... This is when the galley calls, right? And they, uh, they were going to put the meatloaf in the ovens, but, but the, the turkeys were already in the ovens. Real ones. <laughs> right? So Charlie giggles and leaves the bridge, which is weird anyway. Yeah. Well, I have a more important question. Why, Why are there ovens? ovens? <laughs> right? I mean, don't we have, don't we have the, uh, the, the, the zapper thingy? The, uh, why can't I think of what it's called? It's not a replicator. Yeah. The replicator. replicator. Yeah. But we wouldn't have those yet. Oh, okay. So, but you would... We see in Trouble for Tribbles, they go up, press a button, and then, like, there's a dinner tray with stuff. Well, that happens, that happens too, in, the, uh, in uh, one of the previous episodes. I think it was the, the, last, the last one, the Naked, Naked Truth. Yeah, the yeah, one where the they're, Zulu. Yeah, they got to rub their hands a lot. Yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, we see it there, too. So, I, don't, I mean, is the galley just, like, transporting them there? Is it like, automatic? The... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so, in the technical manuals... You know, we get the idea that you get true replication in the next generation. And that what you're getting here is some kind of limited form of partial replication because, um, you know, they don't quite have as much energy to just take matter and turn it into energy and store it and then turn it into whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So the food's less good. Uh, so anyway, on the big bombshell that there are ovens, uh, we go to commercial. We come back. Uh, the start date is now 1535.8. It is two days later. Uh, they tell Starfleet of the mysterious loss of the science probe vessel. That's what they that's what they called it. I wrote it down. Science probe vessel. Uh, now we're watching some more 3D trash or 3D chess. Uh, it's funny because in this scene, because I like find looking at all the stuff behind what's happening, there's a guy standing just drinking coffee, coffee in, in the doorway. doorway. It's <laughs> kind of like, like he's, he's on guard duty, duty but, but it really looks more like he's just hanging out outside the door, you know, like all Jane Silent Bob style or something. He's taking a 15 minute break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, or something. Because when we cut back, when Charlie comes in, the door is closed again. So it's like, we don't even know what this guy was back there doing. But anyway. He only had so, 15 uh, minutes. He had time for a cup of coffee. And he wanted to be in a rec room because they're, they're having fun there. But he had to go right away. It's only had 15 minutes. Right, exactly. He just wanted to hear Kirk and Spock playing chess. Spock puts Kirk in check. Says, hey, your mind's not on the game, is it? 
Uh, Spock believes that the boy has had something to do with the Antares. Kirk thinks that the evidence is thin. It looks like Kirk is suspicious here, but that then he almost disregards the idea. Like, no, no, that's crazy talk. Uh, Charlie walks in, then Kirk mates Spock, right, in chess. In, not in real life, but in chess. Uh, K- uh, Charlie sits down to play. Um, sits down to play, right, because, you know, there's the whole scene. Sorry, real quick, where they're where he's talking to Kirk and Kirk's like, no, I'll put you in the hands of our master, you know, 3d chess player. So Kirk leaves. So now it's just, you know, Charlie and Spock, Spock beats him. As I was saying earlier, like if he was psychic, why didn't he know? So Spock wins. And then Charlie just melts with his mind, all of the pieces on the chessboard. So then here, here you've got this, uh, you know, Kirk doesn't want to take on this particular responsibility dealing with the kid. And part of it is, I'm sure, a theme that they've been building up, that the, the captain has a lot of burdens, the captain's got a lot of stuff going on, the captain doesn't have time to deal with this problem. So he's right. like, I, I got to delegate this, I got too many fish to fry, somebody else take care of this, this passenger that we're basically just taking from here to there. And yeah. I also feel like it is some of the source material for Picard's famous I don't like kids. I don't want kids on my ship. Although he deals he deals a lot more with the kids. I mean, not early on. But as the show goes on, he, he gets to deal with the kids pretty well. Remember, there's the one scene where they're all stuck on the ship, and he's got to deal with the kids. And then there's the similar to this, epi- there's similar to this episode where they're, they find a kid who grew up with some alien race who's like a war race. And... He, for some reason, takes him in to his cabin, and I don't know. That's, yeah. That story. story. So, two seconds later, we see Rand again. Ah! Here we go. And in this scene, uh, he, Rand tries to introduce him to a uh, younger girl. Uh, he pretty much just dismisses her right out of it, right off the bat. Just like, no, I don't want to talk to her. I want to talk to I want to talk to you. Uh, and then Charlie here pours out his awkward heart, right? You know? <laughs> he says, alternatively... Really sweet stuff, and also really creepy stuff. Such as, I don't want to talk to her. You look like a... You you, you look better than she does, is basically what he says. Uh, and plus, you smell like a girl. Whatever that means. And then, uh, and then he says to her, Because, you know, you know what it's like to be with somebody. Okay, that's also awkward. But then says something sweet, right? Like he says, uh, if I had the whole universe, I would give it to you. And then quickly follows it up with the awkwardly inappropriate. uh, When I think of you, I feel like I am hungry. All over. And want to kill all animals. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we cut back to the bridge and Rand is like trying to tell Kirk what's happened. And Kirk is almost like, Totally, totally dismissing your story. story. Well, I, I, think, I think, yeah, well, I mean, there's some of that too. But I, I feel like it's like, why are you bothering me with this? I have a sister <laughs> on. So we're doing serious work here. We're exploring the galaxy. We got some science. You know, I got lives, depending on how well we do this. And you're bothering with some kid and his adolescent, you know, hormones. Leave me alone with this. <laughs> Why can't That's I go with my doctor take care of this? <laughs> right, exactly. It's actually a really good point that I had never considered. You know, like, 
Why are they bringing the, it's because we, I mean, we as an audience know that he's a danger right. to the to ship the and everybody. everybody, but nobody else knows that. And at this point, it doesn't seem like Kirk feels that way, right? Because he certainly wouldn't be dismissing it if right. he thought that he was any kind of danger. Yeah, that's really funny. I'd never thought of it that way. That's awesome. So yeah, uh, yeah, we as the audience have seen so much evidence that if we put it all together, we're like, oh, he's totally one of these psychic crazy guys who's going to take, you know, or genre savvy, right? Right. And exactly. so we look, we look at this and we see the magic cards and we see him silencing Uhura and silencing the harp. And those are all suspicious, but, you know, nobody goes back and like sits down and and had, hey, my magic playing cards. Hey, I couldn't sing. Heart made no sound. Laws of physics. Hey, you know, melted chess pieces. And you know, putting all the things together, going, you know what? You know what the common denominator is? Charlie X. Yeah, exactly. Well, what's even funnier too is is that so then in this next scene, Kirk calls Charlie down to his office because he's finally realized, like, I guess I got to have like another man-to-man talk with this kid. Uh, so Charlie first walks in, it's like, he has no sense of personal space. He's like really right up on Kirk, Kirk and Kirk has to like slide around him, you know, like that. That was a nice little character thing there. Um, and then he actually tries to, you know, he asks about the chess pieces. He's like, Hey, you know anything about these chess pieces? And the kid's like, Nope, don't know anything about it. All right, cool. Well, let's move on then because, uh, you know. Uh, he gives Charlie some nice advice here, you know, and it's kind of the same thing I tell a lot of my single guy friends, you know what I mean? It's like, you got to give the girl a little bit of space. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I always joke that the, the, the three day thing, you know, guys waiting two, three days to call a girl after they meet, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, for me, this isn't like a game that I'm playing. I'm just trying to give you space. So, you know, I'm not some kind of creepy guy trying to, you know, like talk to you every, you know, 10 seconds or whatever, you know? So it's funny. I give that, I give that same, you know, that same advice out all the time. You don't want to appear too aggressive, blah, blah. And, you know, he, he gives that extra nice thing about being gentle and that it's not just his feelings that you have to worry about. It's her feelings as well. Nice little father figure stuff there happening, right? So what do you do with an over oversexed teenager? You go and teach him some judo. That's what you decide you're going to go do. So boom, next scene, we're in the uh, rec room, I guess. So one of the uh, things that I think is, is always yeah. uh, lurking in the background of Star Trek is that Roddenberry is very clearly a subscriber to Freudian psychology. So the idea that, oh, you've got girl problems, we need to sublimate those, uh, your libido, with some physical aggression. That's very Freudian. And uh, I, we see it throughout a lot of Roddenberry's work. Well, so uh, <laughs> we got some judo going on here. I knew you, I know uh, we both did, but certainly you more than me, grew up with a little bit of judo in the house as our uh, dad was a black belt in such a thing. Uh, I don't remember a lot about judo. I remember the how to fall thing. That's exactly how I knew what we were talking you know, about. I remember, the and the, I remember dad yeah. talking about Kirk's judo. <laughs> oh, we do think this well, oh, I we did, well, I did, I did, I did question whether or not he perhaps pursued judo because Kirk did it as well. That was a question in my head. I'm not going to lie. Could be. It could be. So anyway, uh, he, uh, he wrestles with his, you know, apparent like wrestling 
guy, you know, that guy that he wrestles with, uh, Sam, right? He's probably like the guy who teaches them all the fight choreography or whatever. Anyway, so he wrestles with him for a little bit, right? So then Charlie tries to scrap with Kirk, right? He should have known he was bound to lose, but typical teenage fashion, he thinks he's going to be good at everything, right? So uh, Again, no mind reading going on. What's that? that? Again, no mind reading going on. Exactly. Charlie gets thrown by Kirk. Sam starts to laugh in the corner, and then... Charlie makes him disappear. I got to imagine Kirk being like, hey, what the hell? I'm just trying to teach you some judo here, and you kill this guy? What are you doing? Uh, but now I think Kirk has some of the evidence he's been looking for, right? It's some of the things are starting yes, to fall into place here. Now. Right, exactly. So he sends for two security guards. Charlie kind of takes them out, to, you know, takes away, all the, takes away all the phasers on the ship, actually. That's even more amazing. Um, well, I do like it because it's like thinking of the next step. Right. If I take away your phasers, you just send up two more guys with other phasers. Yes, exactly. If I get rid of all the phasers, nobody's ever going to sneak up on me with a phaser. True. Uh, so, uh, but I like this, but I like this here where Kirk, this is another place where Kirk tries to step in and be like the father figure. You know what I mean? And, uh, I know there's like another episode we get where he does something similar to this, where he's just like, or am I thinking next generation? I don't know. Anyway, I don't know what's in my brain right now. So anyway, uh, this is Kirk acting like a father figure, right? He basically tells them like, go calmly with the security officers or I will carry you there myself. Like to me, that just sounds like something a dad would say, right? I'll give you something to cry about. That kind of thing. Do I need to stop this starship? If I need to pull over... Right, exactly. So uh, we go to commercial. We come back from commercial, and uh, this is weird because we like pick up right where we left off. Right, there's no been no break, and uh, we also see Charlie standing uh, perfectly in his key light, right, to give him some shadows and whatnot. Yeah. So this is a time when I want to bring up the uh, uh, the di- diagenic lighting. Okay. So you know, listening to David W. Collins talk about. Uh, the music of Star Wars, and he brought up this idea of diegetic music, music that exists in the world. And clearly the way lighting is used in Star Trek, especially the original series, it is not necessarily diegetic. It is not necessarily happening in the world. Some of this lighting is for our benefit as the audience, in the same way that a musical cue will tell you dramatic stuff is happening, we get dramatic lighting. And it's not that something is wrong with the lighting on the starship. Why is Kirk suddenly in a shadow? Why is Charlie in a shadow? They're not. This is to tell us dramatic stuff is happening. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, like I said, it's almost like there's a shadow has come over Charlie at this point, you know? So it's really cool. I, obviously, they do that a lot in the show. We've already seen it in you know previous episodes, especially with like the soft lighting when it comes to it's like this woman's supposed to be beautiful, so let's we get that soft from lighting. both Kirk and and Rand in this episode yeah. because Charlie is looking up to them both, idealizing yeah, exactly. them. Uh, so he eventually decides he's going to back down. Uh, he and he walks to his quarters with, with his security escorts. Uh, this sounds like it's time for a briefing room scene with the uh, with the big three here. So the trifecta are all sitting around. Uh, they decided not go to Colony Alpha Five because they don't want to uh, expose any other humans to uh, whatever Charlie is, whatever Charlie is. Uh, but everybody agrees, 
<laughs> except for maybe Kirk, but everybody agrees that the struggle must remain between Kirk and Charlie. Uh, Charlie arrives in the briefing room and Kirk makes him reveal that he was to blame for the Antares. What about us? Kirk asks next. Tension mounts as Charlie answers, I don't know. Right? I mean, that's like, as a storytelling point, that's just escalation right there because it's like, oh, okay, our people could be really in trouble at this point. Uh, on the bridge, Kirk tries to hail the colony and turn the ship away from, uh, from the colony, but uh, Charlie stops him. Uh, at this point, he has... Spock reciting poetry, and as he uh, uh, he says he wants to go to Colony 5, that he wants to meet more people. Well, Kirk now confronts Charlie again, and again, Charlie backs down, leaving the bridge, although Spock ominously tells him there may come a time when he won't back down. In another part of the ship, Charlie exits the turbo lift, and we see the young yeoman from earlier that uh, he, like, totally blew off and for apparently no apparent reason turns her into an iguana. I don't know why. Apparently, there was a scene in another draft where where he turns her into a bug and then steps on it, but they felt that was, like, maybe a little too much. Yeah, he is, so. she expresses, you know, genuine concern for him. And, yes. And he punishes her for it. I, I wonder why nobody likes him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, I know, really weird. Uh, so then he, uh, we cut to Chapel's Quarters, uh, Chapel's Quarters, Oh, no, again, we think, because now something else is going to happen to Chapel here. Uh, she's kind of in, like, off-duty robes, but, but it looks like, like she's still working right? on something. Oh, jeez, right. yes. No, I meant Rand, not, not Chapel. Chapel. Yeah, yeah, there was no Chapel, Chapel in this episode. episode. No, yeah, Rand. Sorry. Uh, so Charlie enters. I noticed no door chime, by the way. But then she said, uh, don't you knock? And he's like, and also makes it too sound like perhaps the door was locked. But he came in anyway. I'm sure he has that power. He has that power. Uh, hands are a rose saying, uh, it's pink. It's your favorite color, right? Which we can tell because she is not only wearing pink, but apparently the pink lighting in the room is also giving it away. <laughs> More of that diagenic uh, lighting, I would presume. Um, what do you want? Asks Rand. And you, says Charlie, as he walks towards the camera and goes to commercial. Poor Rand and all these uh, attempted sexual assaults, right? Anyway, uh, back from commercial, Rand, uh, Rand open, secretly opens communications behind her back to the bridge. Spock and Kirk rush in and immediately are thrown against a wall. If you look, there's a quick shot on the wall where you can see they broke it. But oops, what can you do? She slaps Charlie for as he attempts to step close to him and then evaporates. So now we have to wonder, is Rand dead now? Dun, dun, dun. We find out that Charlie needs the cap captain to fly the Enterprise. The Antares was easy, he says, to fly, but that the Enterprise is a little more difficult. So be nice, he says. Well, Kirk, as he will do, refuses to be nice, uh, demands that he fix Spock's broken legs, which is also awful. And uh, uh, because Kirk says he needs Spock to run the ship. When asked if Ran is dead, Charlie says he won't say. So is Rand dead? We don't know. Dun, dun, dun. So they try to lock him to a room with a force field. Uh, so he just takes away the wall. Says, bye, wall. And that's gone. Uh, that wasn't nice, he says. You'll be sorry. You'll be sorry. He says it twice, just to make it more ominous. Then Charlie just goes around and he just starts doing stuff randomly, right? There's no rhyme or reason to it anymore at this point, other than, like, he's a teenager and he's mad. Uh, he turns uh, a young yeoman old. Uh, he freezes two people and then takes away another yeoman's face. 
It's funny. That was like, that to me is like, you know, like 60s scary. You know right. what I mean? It's like one of those, it's like an old school Doctor Who episode where, you know, kids see Daleks and they hide behind the couch or something. It's also made me think too of an episode of the Twilight Zone. I don't know the original episode, but when they redid the movie or when they did the movie in the 80s, they redid uh, that episode where there's a kid who can make his family, you know, do all sorts of crazy things. And in one scene, he takes away a girl, his sister's mouth because she was like, he was sick of her like yelling at him or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, that one ends a little bit differently, though, because like he brings his teacher home and shows him all of the stuff and blah, blah, blah. Well, he likes the teacher so much that the teacher's like, well, I'll be able to take care of you now. So... And that's how that one ends. No Thagian coming in with a giant head to take him away. Uh, we are back on the bridge. A message is received, and Charlie says that he is blocking it. Um, and they are still headed to Colony 5. And then he walks off the bridge. He gets under a turbo lift, and then he freezes another yeoman. And then pushes randomly through another group of guys. Back on the bridge, Kirk decides, now must be the time to attack. But you don't have special powers! Bones warns. But then Kirk realizes he must. Oh, then Kirk realizes he's made no one disappear, and that maybe, possibly, he's too weak, running the ship. His power is spread thin. Uh, if we don't try, he'll rid all of us. We have to try. And in watch, in walks Charlie, saying, "I can get rid of you anytime I want." So now is he back to reading minds? Because I don't know what's going on here. Anyway. That's the only thing that that's the only bit of sloppy storytelling in this whole episode, as far as I'm concerned. Otherwise, everything's great. So then Charlie boldly sits in the captain's chair, and Kirk's like, "Get out of the chair!" No, I won't get out of the chair. Get out of the chair. So uh, Spock and Bones begin like turning on every circuit, every like mechanical thing, everything that makes the uh, everything that makes the ship work. He's making it harder and harder for Charlie to hold his power over the ship. Kirk re reverts to physical violence, hoping it will help. Charlie starts. Charlie is taken down and then starts hurting Kirk with his mind again. But then the Enterprise comes through. They have control of it again. Kirk pulls up Charlie, who screams, no! And then magically, Rand appears back on the ship. And then the Thasian with the giant head appears back on the ship. He explains that the boy, that they missed the boy escaping. And that they couldn't, sorry, that they couldn't help the Antares crew. But everything now has been returned to the Enterprise along with the crew. Charlie begs no again. I don't want to go back. Kurt asks the big theologian head, Hey, can I stay? Is there any way? The, the, the Thasian says no. They gave him his power so that he could live all those years ago, and he will always use his power. The temptation to use his power would be because he bargained. Oh, I, I promise I won't use my powers. And they're like, yeah. We can teach him not. Kirk even says we can teach him not to use his powers. No, he will always use his powers, the Thasian says. So then we get this little, like, kind of a Twilight Zone gotcha at the end, you know, where uh, he says he he doesn't want to go back because there's uh, they don't love anything. He can't touch them. They don't touch anything. And uh, everyone on the on the ship appears to be moved by that, especially Rand, who's crying all over the place. But now it is all over. And that's that. She just made me contemplating the void she was in. <laughs> Possibly. That could be it, too. She's really worried. 
So here's my real question when it comes to this episode. Is that, did they still get the turkeys for Thanksgiving or were those taken away too? Oh, because man. that just seems rude. Yeah. I know, right? It's a bummer. <laughs> I know. No. They're going to eat meatloaf shaped like turkey? That's no fun. Especially when they actually had turkey. I know, I know right? right? It's horrible. And then, so now we have to ask, does uh, Rand still have her perfume? <laughs> right? Also an important question. So one of the things that happens in this episode, we get that song that Ahura sings about Spock. And apparently right. the the writers and uh, Nichelle Nichols and Leonard Nimoy were interested in dropping these hints that, you know, in the future or at some point, Spock and Ahura would end up together. So we, oh, get, we get this song, we get the... Uh, in Plato's stepchildren, we're going to get this kiss, which basically Shatner is going to you know, insert himself into uh, because he wants to be the one to to do the kiss. But it was written for Spock and Ahura. So we get these these elements, and of course, uh, they, they felt like they really couldn't do it because an interracial relationship would cost them all their southern affiliates. Interesting. But of course, by the time of the reboot, there's no reason not to. Yeah. So making Spock and Ahura a thing, it happens. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, that's all I got on this episode. Anything else you want to share, sir? Oh, that was my that was my extra piece right there. All right, perfect. Then that was excellent. Glad that worked out. All right. Well, well uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, one of your favorite episodes is next week. Yeah, In fact, right. you're probably like favoritist, favoritist episode next week. It is my favoritist, favoritist, yeah. Excellent. Balance of Terror. So uh, thank you all for uh, coming back to the podcast this week. We'll be back next week, as we said, with some Romulans and the Balance of Terror. Till then, I say goodbye. And till then, Ken says, Jalan true. And as always, thanks for uh, listening. We appreciate it. Uh, wherever you found us, please write a review or, you know, subscribe or just say, hey, I think you guys are great. Or you can even say you guys suck. I don't care. But it's it's all about the comments, people. Whatever you leave, that's what's going to make us look good to the bigwigs. And from that thing, all I got to say is see you next week. Next week.